If you sell by referral, relationship building, and network marketing, pick a time and let's talk about podcasting. You might be surprised. When done correctly, all you have to do is have the conversations. There was a, a murder. A wife murdered her husband and put him in the closet and took his checkbook and went to Atlantic City and spent a good deal of his money. Uh, and the question became, did she write the checks and sign the checks? Uh, which she did. And right. I, haven't, I haven't forgotten that case. Welcome to the NJ Criminal Podcast. Welcome back to New Jersey Criminal Podcast. I am pleased to present today Jay Wright Leonard, Certified Document and Handwriting Examiner. Uh, Jay Wright is nationally renowned in the area of document and handwriting examination, and she's here with us today to uh, tell us what she does and how she does it. Jay Wright, welcome. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining me. I, I'll start by saying you and I met, gosh, maybe 10 years ago or so ago. Uh, when At I least, was a, maybe more than that. Maybe longer, I think. You're right. Uh, when I was a prosecutor uh, and I reached out to you to help me with a case that I was prosecuting. So I guess I'll start by saying this conversation will be extremely useful to prosecutors, to defense attorneys, to criminal practitioners, to civil practitioners. I think you were actually uh, referred to me by uh, a civil attorney way back when. Uh, And so you do handle all kinds of cases in all kinds of courts, state and federal. Is that correct? That is true. Yes. And you've been doing it for decades and decades and decades. So I'm happy to have you here to explain uh, this. Take away one of those decades. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, I don't. 1983. Okay. All right. So first, I just want to start by asking you uh, to explain what is document examination. Well, that's a good question. Many people don't know exactly what that is. Um, You're examining documents to determine the authenticity of the document. Um, There are different areas of specialties in the field. For example, handwriting identification would be one. Um, Ink identification would be another. Um, Typewriters, although they're not used so much today, but the fonts are often in question. Um, Paper identification is another. So these are specialties. My specialty is largely handwriting identification. I do get other kinds of issues and cases that come to my desk, but the major portion of my work relates to handwriting identification. Um, There are questions, for example, about inks that might come to my desk. Is one ink different than another? Of course, you need specialized equipment to determine that or whether there's any indented writing on a page. You know, if you wrote on a tablet and you tore off the top sheet, whatever you wrote on that sheet would be indented on the page below it. And sometimes that's very valuable. If somebody's writing a will, for example, or forging a will, for example. Um, So those kinds of questions are whether or not a page is substituted in a contract, for example, or whether a page has been altered in any way. Uh, Is this font different than that font? Um, Was this writing disguised? 
were these words written out of sequence with the rest of the page? You know, sometimes when medical records were commonly written by hand, there would be a question about a certain entry for a patient as to whether it was written after the fact. And um, you don't see too many of those anymore since uh, uh, everything seems to be on computer in hospitals these days. Um, but in the olden days, there were often issues like that. And also, how did, how did that signature get on the paper? Is it, number one, is it an original signature? Is there ink on the paper? Or you could go on to, if it's not ink on the paper, did it come from an inkjet printer, for example? or a laser printer, or is there toner involved? Is it a toner copier? Um, was it traced? Um, is it a fax or a microfiche, for example? So those kinds of questions uh, come to my desk as well. So it, are most of your clients attorneys, or do you have you gotten clients that are private citizens? or private investigators? There are some private citizens on occasion who need to have an attorney, and, and most of them I suggest they do speak with an attorney before they get all involved in in a, uh, a question as to the authenticity of handwriting. Often there are other types of issues involved in the case besides the handwriting, and they need legal advice even though they might not know it at that time. Tell me uh, what happens when someone first calls you and says, for example, I need to know if this particular handwriting is uh, real or is it fraudulent? What is it that you need from that person in way of samples, et cetera? Sure, let me explain that. The first thing I would ask that person, if it's an attorney calling, I would ask him the name of opposing counsel to make sure I don't have a conflict. Because it has happened where I've been retained on one case and then the other side calls and, and certainly you don't want to have a conversation about the details of the case in such a situation. So once I clear that up, I would explain what they need, which is number one, the question document, the one with the question signature upon it. The original is always best to have as opposed to a copy because you can see more detail, obviously, and you can also in some cases render a more certain opinion. And that's referred to as the questioned document? The questioned document, that's correct. Okay. Then you have to have also a collection of comparison specimens or genuine signatures of that individual executed as close as possible to the date of the questioned document. And the reason for that is uh, that writing can change over time. So you want these comparisons to be contemporaneous or as close as you can get um, and not something that's 10 or 15 years prior or not something that's executed yesterday if the document is 10 years old, for example. And normally I look for 15 or 20 comparison signatures to start with. Um, again, originals are always best. It's hard, though, for people to get originals, all originals of 20 samples, for example. So they um, uh, oftentimes substitute some copies in there. And and that's okay. But I would always ask for originals first if they're available. And, and once in a while, a person's able to get a full collection of originals. And the exercise involves cataloging the range of handwriting variation in the known samples because 
we don't all write the same way every day. There are variable uh, features in all of our writing. So what you want to do is analyze those characteristics. For example, the formations of the individual strokes. Let's say the first name begins with, a, with an M. That M could be one way today and another way next week or next month. And so you might find three or four different M's in that person's writing. So you catalog those variable uh, uh, formations along with the lowercase letters, along with the uh, proportions of the upper extenders, those uh, loops that go above the line like the H and the T and so forth, and those that go below the line, the G and the Y and Z and what have you. Also, where the, where the word begins and where it ends, the really unconscious choices there. Also, any unnatural breaks in the writing, unnatural stops and starts of the writing instrument are all taken into consideration as well. Even the I dots and the T crosses can be important. Um, so you gather all this information together, you catalog all these different features in different parts of the signature, and then in the question signature, you're looking to see if those features of the question signature, whatever the question signature is demonstrating, fit within the range of variation that you've just established in the known collection. If all of the features of the question signature fit within the range of variation, fit somewhere, it doesn't have to appear in every instance of a capital M, for example, to use my example, uh, it just needs to be in that collection somewhere. Uh, so if they all fit, likely you have a genuine signature. If you have unexplained differences of handwriting habit, that is something that needs to be noted. Now, if you are going to forge the signature of someone or simulate, I shouldn't use the word forgery, simulate the signature of someone, you would probably, I assume, perhaps practice it, try and get it looking looking correct, get the formations right and the proportions right and so forth, but you would not be able to execute it fluidly and naturally like the actual person does because your habits are different than theirs. So you would really have to go very slowly and, and draw it. Um, even though you'd practiced it beforehand, you still wouldn't get it as fluid as you would like, or as it should be, or to be like the persons that you're uh, copying. Um, so an appearance that's about writing that's drawn is one of the chief signs of falsity. Unnatural stops and starts of the writing instrument, where the person writes a little bit and then stops and picks up and writes some more, are, are red flags as well. Um, uh, lack of fluidity, lack of naturalness, um, blunt ending strokes, and a number of things like that are red flags that we that we look for. So can, the next question becomes, can you explain those differences? If you find some unexplained differences, like there's a ripple in a, in a stroke that's not, um, not apparent in the comparison of signatures, can you explain that difference? Can you explain a tremor in a writing um, as, a, as another example? So I always ask the person in the beginning, the lawyer client, some additional information. I ask for the age of the person. How old is this individual? Um, and the reason that's important is because some people, as they advance in age, lose some muscular control for one reason or another. And the writing gets tremulous or shaky to a greater or lesser extent, depending 
depending how old they are, for example, or if they're suffering any physical handicaps or disabilities or illnesses that might affect their writing. Um, that obviously can be very, very important if they're under treatment for one thing or another, they've had a heart attack or, uh, or they have Parkinson's and so forth. Such things can cause great changes in the writing. So that information is important to know. And I usually ask that up front. So if research needs to be done, they can do it. Um, and hopefully they're able to get that uh, information um, Many times they can. Once in a while they can't, but many times they can. Also, the circumstances of signing. Was the person, or can we find out if the person was sitting at a desk or standing, bent over the desk, or were they in a moving vehicle? Were they in the back of a streetcar, the back of an automobile that was going down the road? Were they writing on a picnic table in the backyard? Were there any papers under what they were signing that might have caused uh, ripples in the in the strokes, for example? Um, all of these questions are very standard on on my end. So in the end, after you do all that, you have you have your answer. So you are comparing the the questioned document to, uh, I think you referred to them as known samples or genuine samples. Um, cer yes. Certainly, in a in a criminal context, uh, there may be a requirement by an individual to provide handwriting exemplars that would be the known samples that you're going by. But are do you prefer having a handwriting exemplar as uh, the known sample to compare to the question document, or do you also like to have, um, you know, documents that were written or signed by an individual outside of a uh, controlled setting? Uh, and I'm, I'm sure there's a, a, a name for what I'm referring to, but basically uh, a known sample that was not one that was, you know, completed for purposes of of, of an exemplar yes. for purposes of comparison, if that makes sense. Yes, I understand. That would be my last resort, having a requested specimen, some, requesting a person to sit down and write for me would, is the last thing I would do. Sometimes you have to, but you want things that are, number one, contemporaneous in the same time period, and um, as many of them as you can get, of course. Again, writing can change over time, and if you sit someone down, today they know why they're giving they know why they're being requested to give samples and in certain circumstances they will attempt to change their writing can, can a person change their writing though consistently over you know uh, it, when someone gives an exemplar I mean how many how many samples do they provide how, how does an exemplar work if you were if you were going to instruct uh, either a law enforcement officer or someone to take a handwriting exemplar from someone? How does that typically work in a fashion that would be useful to you? Well, there are certain forms that we use to, I call it to kind of loosen the person up. Someone comes in to give a sample. Sometimes they're uptight or nervous about it. So I have just regular forms that, um, uh, they'd write certain words, you know, 10 or 20 different words or names of people and their own personal information and print letters and cursive letters and, and so forth, just as a warm-up exercise. There are other 
what we call the London letter that you can, that can be dictated to them. You always want to dictate this information as opposed to giving them something to copy. Um, What's the London letter? It's just a standard letter. It's been used by government uh, people in taking requested samples. It's just a couple of paragraphs of words that that are uh, they make sense, but they're not appropriate to anything that you're doing. It has, just has the name, the London letter. I don't know why it has that name. Um, and there are other letters that can be dictated as well. But when you get down to the heart of it, you want to dictate what the what it is that you want them to write. Normally in a criminal case, it often doesn't involve a signature. It will involve a, a, a statement made about a particular case, um, which does have a signature at the end, but um, often they'll be writing out their memories of, of what happened. I think in the case that you and I handled together, the question was whether or not the defendant had initialed some plans to um, some architectural types of plans. So you were you were looking at uh, initials and a, and a signature on that. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's a ton of different scenarios that you have dealt with. Um, yeah, initials are initials are difficult because there's not much to them, mm-hmm. and you need initials for comparison. Since sometimes when they're just writing initials, they have a different format on some occasions. You mentioned Sorry. in the yeah you mentioned in the beginning that sometimes you're looking uh, at the actual ink uh, or or print. Tell give me a scenario where you would be. I mean, are you actually in your office or or laboratory setting analyzing uh, the 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 ink or the or the pencil that was used to make to form the handwriting? It is, I guess. Yeah, tell me how you but tell me how that not, would work. Not pencil. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't uh, you can't make a determination about a pencil okay. um, in the in the way that you can about ink. In other words, let's say you have a document that has a signature and some writing on it, and you want to know if if one ink is different than the other ink, or if somebody added something to the handwritten paragraph. Um, in a different ink, for example, but it looks the same to the naked eye. There is equipment that I have that enables me to differentiate inks uh, in terms of their chemistry. So even though they look the same to the naked eye, under infrared examination and microscopic examination, they react differently to the infrared stimulus. One might turn dark gray and one might turn light gray, another might disappear, another might fluoresce, indicating different inks. There are circumstances, however, where different inks will react the same to infrared stimulation. So you can't say with this uh, equipment that two inks are the same, but you can, however, tell with certainty that two inks are different based on their reaction to the infrared stimulation. Um, and I do have one of those in my office, as well as a, a machine that will develop indented writing. As the example I gave earlier of writing on a tablet and tearing off the top page um, and being able to develop what was written on that top page, even though it's now been destroyed, 
the impression from the pressure of the pen came through, comes through on the uh, paper beneath it, just like on a yellow uh, legal tablet, for example. And sometimes it'll go through several thicknesses of paper. If you tear off the top page, uh, you might find the next page and the third and the fourth page also have the indentations that you're you're trying to find. You sound like a real life uh, Nancy Drew. <laughs> that's true. I am. You are. I know. I know. I so tell, explain to me, I mean, because that's, that's really interesting. Can you, can you give me a, a scenario where there has been a question about um, an indentation on uh, pages on a tablet or on a, on a pad? Um, how would that, can you give me an example of, of, of how that question could arise in real life? So someone would find a, a a pad with an imprint on it and try to determine if uh, who who wrote that. I mean, well, I, usually it's usually it relates to, as an example, a will. There's a lot of wills in question out there, and if someone suspects that a will has been simulated, um, and they find this tablet. And if they know that indented writing exists, for example, or perhaps I would tell them to look for such a thing, sometimes you can find the false will has been written by someone else in practice on the yellow tablet. I see. I had, I had a case like that once, That's, actually. Wow. And you were able to show that the will in question had been forged, basically? Falsi falsified. Had been falsi falsified, yes. Had been falsified. Um, is is a person able to trace a handwriting or a signature, um, or would you be able to determine that? You know, you think about like a kid tracing their parent's signature on a, you know, thing from school or something like that. Is that are you able to determine if right. handwriting has been traced? You can tell that. It, it's always best to have the original document because that's going to have the. Um, the evidence that you can document photographically uh, and which serves the purpose very well in a court. Um, um, tracings are done in different ways. Sometimes they're done the old fashioned way through a, through a glass a window. Sometimes they're done on a light table. Sometimes they're done with tracing paper. Uh, sometimes they'll make a, a very light stroke on the paper, maybe in pencil to try and copy. Uh, another signature from beneath it, and then go back with ink and and write on top of it, expecting to cover up those initial strokes. But and, and to the naked eye, it would look pretty good, uh, except that um, with the microscope, you can see the initial strokes that were not covered up completely. I've had a lot of cases like that over the years. You are based out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but you have handled cases all over the country. Is that correct? Well, I wish. No, I haven't. Been, I haven't been to every state in the country. Well, you've been. You, you've been. You've been to quite a few. I mean, you, because basically, um, you you are qualified as an expert, and you testify, and you have testified in a variety of different types of courts. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, sure. 
I've testified throughout Pennsylvania, for example, 25 or 30 counties throughout Pennsylvania, as well as those in, in New Jersey. I've um, testified in Delaware and Maryland and Oklahoma, for example, in state and federal courts uh, as well, as local courts too. Right. And do you, are most of your cases civil, most criminal, most state, most federal? What, what is the bulk of your uh, the venues that you have testified in? Well, mostly the majority is state courts um, and certainly federal as well, but not as many as state courts. And um, um, I'm sorry, what was the end of your question? Well, I'm just I'm just curious if typically you are testifying uh, on behalf of the state or on behalf of the defense or if you have done both. Oh, I see. Um, well, most criminal cases in terms of the prosecution, I mean, they frankly, they either have their own examiner on staff, like the Philadelphia Police Department has an examiner on staff, uh, or they go through the state police laboratories, which um, frankly are cheaper than paying an independent examiner. And that seems to be what most prosecutors do these days. Um, on the other side of the case, uh, sure, I have testified for the federal defender and the uh, City of uh, Pennsylvania Defenders Association, New Jersey Defenders, and, and so forth as well. You've been doing this for, um, as we said a couple minutes ago, many, many decades since the early 80s. Uh, how did you get started in this field? Uh, and and is, it a, is it a dying art? Well, you know, that's probably a whole other podcast. <laughs> Uh -huh. <laughs> Tell me why. Why is that? <laughs> well, um, I don't. I discovered in the late seventies that it was out there. I didn't know what document examination was, or being a handwriting expert. I just discovered it was out there. And how? How did you? How did you? How did you get involved in it? And how did you get trained in it? Well, unfortunately, you can't go get an degree. You can't get a degree in document examination anywhere. The most that they have are a few. Uh, graduate courses across the country, which really doesn't turn out document examiners because they're not long enough or intense enough. So you either you either work for the government and work in your in their labs, of course, and, and you get paid for that because you're an employee, or you find someone who will train you, who is already established and certified and so forth, um, and you and you go that way, and then which is what I did actually, and then obtain certification and proceed. Okay. So you, you just decided that you wanted to get involved in this field. Did you, um, how did, how did you go about it? How did that happen? Well, that's a good question. Uh, honestly, I got the phone book. I got the Philadelphia phone book and looked up document examiners and I called up one that lived in Glenside and uh, proceeded to ask a lot of questions. That's, mm -hmm. that's and, where I began. Then the rest is history. Was, <laughs> something like that. She was very accommodating, very wonderful and, and gave me a lot of information and that piqued my curiosity further and I found out where I could uh, uh, get more information and proceeded. And in the end, uh, 
you know, as which is what we do, and then get certified through a certifying body and uh, continue mm-hmm. to try to establish a business. Right. You, or there, there doesn't seem to be um, many certified document examiners out there with as with the breadth of experience that you have. Um, do, do you think that it is a dying art or do you think it's just a situation where, as you said before, I mean, well, let me ask you this. Ha- have computers in any way replaced individual document examiners or do you think that they would not be able to be as um, effective and as accurate as a human handwriting examiner? Well, computers present new problems. For example, how did how did this signature get on the paper? You know, was it inkjet? Was it laser? Those types mm-hmm. of questions. Um, no, I don't think it's going to replace the handwritten signature of people because that's how we, at the moment anyway, that's how we identify people. Mm-hmm. And they're very individual and identifiable. And I don't think in my lifetime that's going to go out of style. Let's talk for a couple of minutes um, just about about you and and some cases that you have handled. Are, are you able to share with us um, any any neat war stories or any cases that stand out to you as being particularly, um, I mean, they're all interesting, but ones that you're particularly proud of or, or would like to speak about? Well, you know, when one is consulted to determine if handwriting is genuine, all of the issues in a case are not shared with the examiner, and they shouldn't be, but um, you don't want to know too much for fear you'd be influenced, and I mm-hmm. think attorneys feel that way as well. So sometimes I don't know all the details of a case. Um, there are some things, obviously, initially I need to know, but in terms of intense detail, I generally don't know. Um, let's see. Interesting cases. Years ago, there was a, a murder. A wife murdered her husband and put him in the closet and took his checkbook and went to Atlantic City and spent a good deal of his money. Uh, and the question became, did she write the checks and sign the checks? Uh, which she did. And right. I, haven't, I haven't forgotten that case. That was a good number uh, of years ago. I'm sure. And there's probably... I, I, I'm just thinking if whether or not there were uh, ever any questions about whether or not she had signed his checks before uh, and did that make it more difficult to find, um, you know, to find samples of his or not. Uh, but that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, I guess you're you're busy. I mean, you're very, very busy. And, and we had I've tried connecting with you, you know, all summer long. Um do you have to turn down cases? Are you are you that in demand, or are you still accepting cases on a regular basis? Well, no, I don't turn down cases. <laughs> Good. Good to know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, any, nothing, so anyone who's happens, listening... Though, nothing happens overnight, though, bear in mind. People think sometimes that things will happen overnight, but they don't happen overnight. It takes some time and photography work and charting and all of that. What do you mean by that photography work and charting? Explain explain what you have to the process that you have to go through and why it takes longer than most people would think. It's not a matter of just putting two things side by side, right? 
Well, you do you do a side by side examination if you have original documents, sure. But for for the record and for reporting, I like to have comparison charts so that all of the question signatures and all of the genuine signatures have been photographed and enlarged and placed side by side on charts so that when I'm explaining what the answer is to someone, they can see what I'm talking about. Without a picture, and someone's talking about strokes of handwriting, it, it really is confusing, I think, to the receiver because they don't have anything to, to relate to. So I do comparison charting with photographs of everything so they can see. So it's all documented. So you, you blow up your, your samples so that when you're testifying, you can refer to them. Is that what you're saying? Well, I, I attach them to reports as well to begin with because you do you do the report before you testify right and and most times frankly when a report after a report is issued the case will settle most cases don't go to trial you know maybe 10 percent 12 percent perhaps will go to trial but certainly not all of them once a report is issued that is you do a thorough report it's going to be very helpful in settlement and uh, how long typically does it take for you to turn around a uh, a comparison and a report based upon your analysis, or does it depend? Well, it's not just one thing going. There's a lot of things going at the same time, and there's schedules and commitments that are involved. And so it's hard to say how exactly how long it's going to take, but I normally ask for at least several weeks, three or four weeks at least before I don't put anything in writing until the, an, an oral report is given. Uh, you know, sometimes you don't want to report. If the answer is not helpful to the client, to the attorney, he's not going to want it in writing. So we have a discussion first about what the answer is, and then he would decide if he wants a written report or not. Understood. Understood. Um, you know, I'm, I'm on your website, and for my listeners, it is forgery id.com um, your your list of of clientele is impressive and your your training and ongoing professional education is is extremely uh, impressive do you do you still and you're a member of uh, the National Association of Document Examiners and the International Association for Identification um, you've published uh, you've lectured uh, do you do you continue to uh, lecture in the field of document examination? I, I do if I have time to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't write a lot of articles because I don't have time to write the articles. You know, there have been some, but I, I don't devote the most of my time to research. Right. I, I was reading an article today about um, individuals that are um, just very uh, superior in their field, and uh, the article was focused on their basically their daily routine. Uh, and you and I had a discussion about this. You're you're a bit of a night owl, is that right? I function much better at, at night. Yes. Do, do you do you do a lot of your work at night? I, I'm always curious to see how people, um, how how different people in different fields, um, you know what their what their day daily life is like. So, can you walk walk us through what a what a typical day in the life of Jay Wright Leonard is like? Well, I 
I work all day and all evening, frankly, mm-hmm. and then I go to bed. <laughs> okay. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. So it, if someone wants to reach out to you, an, an attorney or a private citizen or a private investigator, I know that you've, uh, you've also done some consultation for different investigators. What's the best way to reach you? Uh, through email or through my office. Okay. What, what, and what email do you prefer people to use? Well, on my website, if you go to the website that you mentioned, there's an email there that I'll get quickly. And that is just my name, uh, J. Wright Leonard at, at AOL, and I will get it. Okay, great. Or, and the phone, or, the, or the phone at my office, of course. And your telephone number is 215-735-4000. Is that right? Right. Excellent. Well, Jay Wright, I can't thank you enough for uh, for giving us some insights into the field of document examination, uh, what you do, how you do it. Uh, it really, truly is fascinating uh, to me. I know it's fascinating to uh, a lot of a lot of listeners. So I appreciate you taking the time to come on and give us your insights. I have a question for your attorneys that are listening, actually. Okay, let's yes, let's hear it. Yes, yesterday I was out. Uh, I was out of the area. I was in another state looking at documents, and I heard people talking. And then they came over to me and finished their conversation, and were saying that there was a case upcoming in their court where a twelve-year-old girl had witnessed a will. And the issue was whether or not that was a legal um, endorsement or she, or whether or not she could serve as a legal witness. Yeah, that, that is a good question for my uh, uh, estate's attorney friends that are listening. Uh, my gut is telling me that it's probably not valid, but I could certainly be wrong on that. And I'm wondering, as I'm speaking with you, whether or not... Uh, different states have different specific rules related to to that very issue. Uh, it probably doesn't sound like a great idea, though, right? Twelve years, twelve years old is probably not someone that would be, uh, I would think, would be an appropriate witness. Yeah, but it's a good question, isn't it? It's an excellent question. I haven't it, heard that in all of my years. I haven't heard a question like that. Yeah. It wasn't whether or not she signed it. It was whether or not it was a uh, valid. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I'm sure you've seen quite a few interesting cases in your time. That's for sure. They're always about money, though. I was thinking about that today. Yeah. Well, money is at the is at the root of it of everything. It sure, certainly is. It certainly is. And I would imagine that in the field that you're in, most of the time, if someone is questioning whether or not a signature or uh, writing was completed by a person or whether or not it was, um, you, I know you don't like to use the term forgery, uh, forged. You like to use the term simulated. Um, it typically would be in a situation where money was, was the reason. Correct. Jay Wright, thank you so much for joining me today. I'll have you come back another time and, uh, we can continue to talk about some interesting cases that you've had. Okay. Well, nice talking with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening in. The best way to follow, subscribe, rate, or message the show is to visit njcriminalpodcast.com. Podcasting is a powerful sales tool with digital marketing benefits. If you're interested in law firm podcasting, simply dial 
239-351-5575 and ask for Tom. That's 239-351-5575. Or go to lawfirmpodcasts.com to schedule a call.